0: All right, say the golden rule for me, would you please? I I thought this was a King James church. You all switch Bibles on me? Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew the 7th chapter. That's what you learned in school. You must have gone to a public school. You don't learn any of that in the public school now. I'm glad you're here. Love being in Florida. Love getting to meet people. Last night and this morning, it's a wonderful church. And appreciate your pastor and his wife. Glad to see his children serving with him. I'm working on learning people's names. I I'm a, I have to be reminded a little bit. I'm 66 years old, so I have an excuse. There's two signs of getting older. One is that you forget things. I can't remember the other one. Uh, it slipped my mind. All right. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, this do, or do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, a similar verse, the Lord Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 6 and verse 31, a little more like the one that we quote and think of when we think of the golden rule. And as ye would that men do, the men should do to you do ye also to them likewise. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd guide me by your Spirit to say the things that would help the people and begin to do the work of reviving in our, works, our hearts that you wish to do. I pray that this week you'd be in charge, and Lord, that we'd be submitted to whatever direction you want us to go. Uh, I pray that we would listen and speak as those that will give an account. And I pray that all who are part of this meeting would leave the meeting closer to you than when they began, Help it to be so, and we'll thank you and praise you for all that's done. In Jesus' name, amen. Preacher, what time do you stop Sunday school? Quarter, Quarter, after. Quarter after. All right. I will obey. I am a, my motto as I get older in preaching is, if you can't be good, be short. So I don't always do that, but I try for that. In 1903, a man started a retail store in Kemmer, Wyoming. He decided he was going to do something a little different. He wasn't going to uh, just take advantage of the customers and try to make money. He was going to treat them like he'd want to be treated if he were a customer. He decided he would not abuse or be harsh to his employees. He'd treat them like he'd want to be cared for if he were an employee. In fact, he didn't call them employees. He called them associates. The store in Kemmerer, Wyoming was called J.C. Penney. Sears has come and almost gone. Been around for over a century, a hallmark of retail business in the United States of America. But J.C. Penney, after a little faltering because they got a Silicon Valley CEO who didn't know what he was doing, is doing well all these years later. And you know what they called J.C. Penney? They began to call it the Golden Rule Store. I want you to think about the Golden Rule this morning it's something we know, but we really don't think a lot about. Think first, if you want to keep an outline and take notes, Roman numeral one is the reach of the golden rule. Did you see what it said in Matthew 12? It said it, in verse 12, Therefore all things whatsoever you would that should do to you, do ye even so to them. Watch this, for this is the law and the prophets. How many believe we ought to follow the Ten Commandments? Think about the the Ten Commandments? Good. How many could quote me the Ten Commandments? Well, you're in a heap of trouble. (laughs) You get these laws you're supposed to obey and you don't even know them. But wait a minute, there's more than Ten Commandments, there's hundreds of commandments in the Bible. Now, if you're like me, I like shortcuts. I like easy ways to do things. I like to do business with people who make my life easier, not with people who make my life harder. I go to the bank and we've got all kinds of accounts there. And they get a new manager and they say, We have to show me ID. I said, Ma'am, you know who I am. I've been here all these years. Nope. And I got to go through all this stuff. And I said, Ma'am, I understand that you do whatever you do. You just understand when I put my money somewhere else. <laughs> I don't want people making my life harder. I like, I like things to be made simpler. Our life is getting complicated. And so the Lord Jesus said, Here's a shortcut. If you will get hold of the golden rule, what we call the golden rule, and what it means, if you'll live by that, you'll automatically keep all the law. That's pretty impressive. If there's one thing that I can get hold of, then I'll keep all the law. But that's not all. In the Bible, there are not only laws, commandments. I believe in the Bible there's a hierarchy of truth. The most important things in the Bible are the commands. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. But then there are Bible principles because there's not a command available for every situation. The Bible does not say you should help elderly ladies across the street. But it does say uh, be kind one to another. It does tell us that, that uh, as you have opportunity, you should do good to all men, especially those that are of the household of faith. And so there are principles in the Bible. And principles are eternal. They can apply in every situation. Uh, and then in the Bible, there are examples. Not explicit statements. Uh, I was talking to a lady one time. Her husband was beating her and he wouldn't quit. And I've dealt with this a few times. I always like to go talk to men like that. I said, "One lady, let me talk to your husband. She said, it'll hurt you. I said, he won't hurt me. So you're the toughest guy in the world? No, there's a lot of people tougher than me. But I'm tougher than any wife beater. Wife beaters are cowards and bullies. And... uh, I'm trying to think what to tell this day. She was was actually in danger of harm. And I remember that David, when Saul was going to kill him, you know what David did? He ran away. He was completely loyal. to Saul had two opportunities to take Saul's life, and he wouldn't do it, but he didn't stay around to get killed. Here's a Bible thought. If you know someone's going to kill you, try not to be there when it happens. And I said to this lady, love your husband, want to go to counseling with him, try to work on the situation, admit that you have imperfections, but don't stay around and get killed. Now we got commands, we got principles, we got examples. And the Bible says in this hangs all the law and the prophets. All the utterances of the prophets, they're not commands. For example, Isaiah said, That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. That's not a command, but that's a great truth. How do I have peace? By focusing my attention on God. I get upset, I get disturbed, I get troubled. It's a reminder to me I'm not thinking enough about God. Now, I don't know all those prophetic utterances. I, I read the Bible a lot. I've been reading the Bible since July of nineteen of 2017. I've been reading the Bible through every month. Then, kind of, just the Lord just sort of drew me that way. And uh, b- by the way, the Bible is a wonderful book. I don't know any other book you could read every month. I've read westerns by Louis L'Amour; they're great. But I wouldn't want to read anyone his westerns every month. <laughs> yeah. I'd get tired of it after a while. Uh, but I don't know. And uh, spite of all my, I don't know all the prophetic utterances. I couldn't quote them for you. But God says, hey, you get a hold of this rule, you get a hold of this principle, and you will keep all the law and all the prophets. As a matter of fact, the the Bible says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, and and if, if, if there be any other law briefly comprehended in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Another parallel passage to the golden rule. Do to others what you'd want them to do to you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let's, before we go a little further, let's establish that none of us live by the golden rule. None of you always does to others which you wish would be done to you. I don't do that. Uh, None of us loves our neighbor as ourselves. So let's do a little mental exercise to help convince everybody that. You're driving home. You get closer to home, there's big black smoke clouds in the sky. You drive a little further and you see flames under the smoke. The closer you get, the more you realize it's in your neighborhood. It's on your block. You unconsciously mash down the accelerator. You hurry home and you get to go, ah, praise God. I'm so glad it's my house that's on fire, not my neighbor's. You think? That's what it'd be like to love your neighbor as yourself. So the reach of the golden rule, all the law, all the prophets. Hillel was a rabbi about 50 years before Christ. He founded the Pharisees. Now, the Jews are the original bureaucrats. God gave five books of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And that, that's called the Torah in the Jewish religion. And the Jews have 50 books to explain those five books. They're called the Talmud. So this... Gentile came to Hillel and he said, I will convert to Judaism if you can explain to me the whole law while standing on one foot. And you know what Hillel said? He said, do not do anything to your neighbor you would not want him to do to you. He said, that's the whole law. The rest is explanation. But the Lord Jesus does what he always does. The Lord Jesus didn't negate the truths of the Old Testament. But he took them to a higher level. The Lord Jesus said, you've heard that thou shalt not commit adultery. But I seen unto who so looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. You've heard that it been said, thou shalt not kill, but i say to you whosoever hated his brother ha- have committed murder to him already in his heart. And the Lord Jesus said, it's not enough not to hate people, not to kill people, you shouldn't hate them. It's not enough not to commit adultery, you shouldn't lust. And then he said, it's not enough to not do the bad things to your neighbor that you wouldn't want them to do to you. You ought to do the good things to them you'd want somebody to do to you. So how do I do that? We think of the reach of the golden rule. Think a little bit of the requirements of the golden rule. What is going to have to happen in my mind and heart if I'm going to keep the golden rule? Number one, it would require me to be aware. I appreciate your pastor stood up and he told you to pray for some people in the church. He did it again last night. He's making you aware of their needs and of their circumstances. The Bible says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Most of us go through life with blinders on. We've got our goals, our intentions, our desires, our needs, our wants, and we don't think about anything else. We hear somebody has cancer. We feel badly about it. We have a flat tire. We feel really badly. We actually spend more emotional energy being upset about our flat tire than somebody else's cancer. Because we've got to get out and we've got to change the tower. We've got to call the towing company. We've got to spend the money. Philippians chapter 2 says this. It says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. It requires me to be aware, to look. To understand, uh, I used to have a staff meeting every once in a while at our church, maybe every month or so, and we'd have it about 7, 15 in the morning, so teachers could still get to school and all they had to do. And the first time I had got everybody together like that, all the church and school staff, I said, uh, to the, I'd say, Pastor Keeley, tell me one thing you're excited about and one thing you're praying for. And I'd go through, Brother Guy, I'd tell me one thing you're excited about, one thing you're praying for. Brother Weeks, tell one thing you're excited Brother so I'd, I'd get everybody, tell me one thing they're excited about, one thing they're praying for. And when it was all done, I said, okay, now you tell me what he is excited about. And you tell me what she is praying for. (laughs) But if you understand people's burdens and their blessings, you've got a pretty good handle on their life. I have all of our adult Sunday school classes start every class by taking blessings and prayer requests and then jokes. Because they weep together, laugh together, pray together. And they'll get close to each other that way. I have to be aware. But there's another requirement. It requires me to be alienated. The Apostle Paul said, Neither count I my life dear unto myself. How can I do for others the things I would want done for me? I can only do it if I stop thinking about myself so much. If I become other-centered instead of self-centered, William Booth founded the Salvation Army. Now, the the contemporary church, the progressive church, one of their doctrines is that churches need to be homogenous. You need to have a target audience, and all of them tend to target young, upwardly upwardly mobile professionals, Uh, but William Booth was the first guy I'm aware of who targeted a group, and he targeted the poor people. He targeted the drunks. He targeted the down and outers. He targeted people that nobody else wanted to help and didn't want in their church. He spent his life doing that. He helped a lot of people who couldn't help him back. His eyes were bad, and he would visited the doctor a few times. It fell upon one of his sons to give the message to William Booth that his eyes not only would not get better, they were going to get so bad he'd be completely blind. Here's a man giving his life to help those who couldn't help him back. And now he's going to be blind. And William Booth said this. He said, well, I've spent my life thus far serving the Lord Jesus with my eyes. Now I shall serve him without them. Alienated. Neither count on my life dear unto myself. And then thirdly, it requires me to have the right attitude. Look not every man in his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Philippians chapter 2. Next verse says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, watch this, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look at the other person as being better than you. There's one piece of trace leche left. You take it. It's all right. Our daughter, Carissa, was five before our daughter, Katie, was born. So she was an only child those years, and it's hard to teach an only child to share. Nobody else wants her toys. But she has cousins, twins, that are about nine years, nine months older than her, and they're going to come over one night. So we're trying to practice to get Krista ready to share. Now, Krista, if Katrina and Christina come, and they want the doll you're playing with, why don't you be real nice and real sweet, and she would do great. We'd say, I'm I'm Christina, I want that doll. And she'd smile and hand it over, and she'd say, you can have it. She did great in practice. (laughs) Then the twins came over. Doug and Kathy and Christy and I were playing Rook in the other room. I think that's Baptist Bridge. I'm not sure. Uh, we were playing Rook and, uh, and we heard, no, it's mine. You can't have it. <laughs> we walked into the room. Carissa, remember what we practiced? <sighs> you can have it. Paul Harvey used to be on the radio. Always had intriguing stories. And the rest of the story with Paul Harvey He told a story one day of this older lady in a Mercedes went to a busy store parking lot and waited patiently until a decent spot opened up. She waited while the person put their packages in the car. She waited while they got in the car. She waited while they, I don't know, what what do people do once they're in the car and you're waiting for them to leave the parking spot? They sit there for 20 minutes, you know. It's not an airplane. You don't have a 140 checklist point. Just get out of there. But, uh, Finally, this car started to back out, and just when she's going to go in that spot she'd been waiting for so long, this young kid in the Corvette zips in and grabs her spot. And she was offended. She opened the window. She said, hey, you can't do that. That's my spot. He barely looked back. He said, sorry, lady. That's how it is when you're young and fast. (laughs) But he hadn't taken too many more steps before he heard, and she had rammed her Mercedes into the back of his Corvette. Corvettes are usually made of fiberglass. Mercedes are made of sterner stuff. His car fared the worst in that encounter, and he was mortified. car was the biggest possession in his life. He said, you can't do that. That's my car. She barely slowed down as she said, sorry, sonny, that's how it is when you're old and rich. (laughs) Now, we like that story because it appeals to our flesh, But the Bible says that's not the right attitude. Let each esteem other better than themselves. I preached at a church in Roanoke, Virginia, and in the church was an evangelist that i just vaguely heard of. I was talking to him before the service, and he was was kind of talking. He said, yeah, I was at a church the other day. He said, I went, and I was going to preach in Sunday school, not in church, and I sat down in the auditorium. He said, this guy came up, and he said, you're sitting in my seat. I said, I don't see your name on it. He said, well, always sit there. I said, well, you're not sitting there today. (laughs) And then the evangelist said to me, you should have seen his face when I got up to preach. Yeah, I bet that guy really had revival. (laughs) And I said to the evangelist, well, imagine how he would have responded if you had graciously got up and said, oh, you can sit there. I'll sit somewhere else. And then you got up to preach, and here's what he said. Oh, I never thought about that. Most of us never think about that. Have to have the right attitude. But let me give you one more requirement. You have to be aware. You have to be alienated. You have to have the right attitude. But if you will take what I'm telling you from the Bible today, and if you will work really hard, if you'll do it your very best, if you'll give it everything that you have, I promise you that you will fail. Because the Lord Jesus said, Without me you can do nothing. So it requires you to be anointed, to be filled with the Spirit, to be walking in the Spirit. I I won't get into detail about it. I used to struggle to try to understand the distinctions between walking in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit and uh, uh, being crucified with Christ and abiding in Christ. And I'll tell you what I think. I think they're all the same. You're either depending on yourself or you're depending on the Lord. Lord, help me. Help me to live by the golden rule today. Well, what would, what would be the result if we did that? We talked about the reach of the golden rule, all the law, all the prophets. We talked about the requirement of the golden rule to be aware, uh, to be alienated, to have the right attitude, to be anointed. What would be the result? The first thing would happen if we began to live by this Bible truth is it would change our expectations. Valentine's Day is coming up. How many, uh, don't raise your hand, how many ladies expect your husband better remember? (laughs) Better get you a card, better get you some candy, better do something for you. How many on your birthdays expect, now you expect the pastor's got to give me a candy bar. Were those snicker bars you gave away? Yeah, That's that's godly. Snicker bars are, I think, I think almond snickers are actually the manna uh, that they were given to the children of Israel. I'm I'm not sure about that, but... Uh, they may grow on the tree of life in heaven, I'm not sure. But we have expectations. And when they're not fulfilled, we're disappointed. My dad made up an ancient Chinese proverb. My dad made up the ancient Chinese proverb after 10 years at the Detroit Rescue Mission. When he went there, it was a beat-up old building and uh, just terribly in debt, not enough money coming in, couldn't pay the bills. And Dad really worked it, and Dad, would, Dad did a great job there. They built a new building, paid for it within three months of its completion. It was state-of-the-art. Uh, they started a radio broadcast. They started a camping ministry for inner-city kids. They started a ladies' ministry. They had a medical clinic for the guys, and all kinds of doctors would come in and take care of them. And he really put it on the map. It is today the largest rescue mission in the world. It's not a fundamental endeavor now, but they do a lot of good. And, and uh, the last I knew, their budget was $20 million a year. Mitch Album, sports writer for the Detroit papers and on the WJR radio station in Detroit, has written a number of books, and, uh, and and I think he wrote the Five People You Meet in Heaven and Tuesdays with Maury. and he made a kind of a documentary about his life. You should pray for him. He's a Jew. His wife's a Christian, and he's searching. He hasn't trusted Christ yet, but but in this story about himself, he checks himself. At the, the the documentary. Film is called Have a Little Faith. My wife saw it on the Hallmark channel once we'd heard about it and recorded it. And you'll see Mitch Album walking in, or his guy playing his part, to the mission my dad built. Big sign over Third Avenue in Detroit saying Christ died for our sins. Now, when my dad left the mission, they had a lot of money in the bank. And the Lord just really used his decade there of service. And he thought, you know, I'm going to evangelism. I bet the guys on the board are going to take a pretty small portion of that money and get me a car. That's what he figured. You know what they got him? Nothing. They were mad he left. They wanted him to stay there. And so my dad made up at that occasion an ancient Chinese proverb. The ancient Chinese proverb my father made up goes like this, Blessed is the man who expects nothing, for he shall not be disappointed. (laughs) Yeah, all of my disappointments come because of my expectations. I preach out a lot. I've been preaching 60 meetings or so a year for a very long time. And most people are really nice to me. Your church is really nice to me. Got me a beautiful room. The preacher got me a nice shirt. And it's a brand that I really like to wear. I don't know if he knew that or not. But he had the brand on when I saw it. I said, oh, I like those shirts. I buy them at Sam's. It was a cool uh, style. A long sleeve uh, for being up north. And uh, and a, a gingham as a habit shirt, like a fishing shirt. And uh, it meant they had goodies for me, all kind of little things in the room. And he found out what kind of pop I like, soda, and got it for me it, But sometimes I go So I've been places where the preacher never fed me. He never asked me what I wanted to eat. I don't know what he thought I did for food. I, I found vending machines. I survived. I didn't ask him about it. I've been places they didn't pay for my motel. I've been places they didn't pay for my plane ticket. I've been places they didn't give me any kind of an offering. And you know what? That's good for me. Because the man called me up and he said, Would you come preach for me? And if I went and preached for him, we're even. He said, would you preach? I said, yes, I preached. That was the whole deal. Anything else is a bonus. Anything else is a blessing. And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go through life looking to do for other people what you'd like somebody to do for you. Don't look for other people to do things for you. Did you know you put yourself in charge of your own happiness now? You wait for others to do things for you, you. put them in charge of your happiness. But now you're looking for it to be a blessing for them. And we read in the book of Acts, you remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Anybody's ever had grandkids knows that. <laughs> a lot more fun to see your grandkids open a present you got them and be all excited than it is to get a present for yourself. It'll change your expectations. And then, because of that, it'll change your enjoyment. That's the second result. read a survey about what made people happy. Some happy people were rich. Some happy people were poor. Some unhappy people were rich. Some unhappy people were poor, healthy, sick, didn't matter. But they found one thing that made a big difference in people's level of happiness, and it was the level of their expectation. The less you expect, the more you enjoy life. There's a syndrome out there. It's called the pretty girl syndrome. Here's a little girl. She's beautiful. Her mommy tells her she's pretty. Her daddy tells her she's pretty. Strangers tell her she's pretty. Teacher tells her she's pretty. Classmate tells her she's pretty. The boys they begin to pay attention to when she gets older. They tell her she's pretty. And about seven times a day, she gets told she's pretty. Here's a little girl. She's not as pretty. Once in a while, her daddy tells her she's pretty. Once in a while, she wears wear a nice dress, and people say, you look nice today. They both get married. They both get married to husbands who adore them. And each husband, three times a day, tells his wife how pretty she is, how beautiful she is. Now, the pretty girl has just gone down by over 50%. And the other girl's got three pretties a day, and she used to get three pretties a month. They both have husbands who love them. They're both equally treated and equally well cared for. But one's a lot happier. One enjoys her life more because she's lowered her expectations. Her expectations have never been raised. It increases my enjoyment, it changes my expectation, it eliminates enmity. If it is my responsibility to treat others as I'd like to be treated, then I won't feel bad if they get something I might have wanted to have because it was my job to give it to them. I fly airplanes a lot. I have a million, probably close to a million, 800,000 miles with Delta. I'm diamond, they have silver, gold, platinum, diamond. I'm the highest level. You can go been diamond since they started that program. I, I fly so much that sometimes they let me sit up front for free. I fly so much that then we put extra bags on there, and I, one of them can weigh 70 pounds. I fly so much, I have a special arrangement. Now, with Delta, if I'm not there on time, they leave without me. <laughs> and I observe some things about airplanes. I observe some, some people that they just want to get to the front of the line. Now, the lady says, we're going to board people who need extra time, and then we're going to board children with uh, parents of small children, and sometimes they'll say in, in strollers. And then they say, we're going to board our active duty military with ID. I guess they had a few people scamming them. They now say active duty military with ID. And then they say, we'll board our first class and our diamond medallions. And, and you know what? I, I find people that just got to be to the front of the line there. And so I, I've been there while standing. They just kind of come. And, they, and you know what I say? I say, oh, go ahead. We're all going to leave at the same time. <laughs> Besides, I've been in those airplane seats. There's no advantage to get into them early. <laughs> they have to sit into them longer. It changes your enjoyment, increases your enjoyment, changes your expectations. It eliminates enmity, and it makes me a better example. John F. Kennedy, in 1963, stood outside the University of Alabama, which was a segregated institution. George Wallace later repented of his wrong attitude about race, and did so publicly and apologized. But at that time, you know what he said? Segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. And John F. Kennedy stood up in front of that segregated college that he was requiring to become integrated because they took federal funds. And he said, the heart of the question is, are we going to treat our fellow man as we want to be treated? It's real simple. It answers all of those kinds of questions. It makes us a better example. This uh, little story is kind of special to me because. I have a nephew who has Down syndrome. If you look at one of my CDs out there, the one with my, my bald face on it, uh, you'll see on the back a picture of Clint. Clinton would listen to my original CD every Sunday night after church and sing to it. And his mom said it's a real worship experience. Clint's great. He's probably 33 uh, now, something like that. And uh, a tremendous guy. He, he was sitting in his dad's church a while back and this lady was going to sing a solo, but the introduction was longer than he thought it should be. And he said, sing it, hot lips. Uh, But anyway, there's this Down Syndrome boy in school. He was mainstream. They used to do that more. They put him in the regular classes. So here's this kid. He's the last one chosen for the team. He's the one who can never answer the question. He's the boy nobody asks to sit with him at lunch. And he comes home, it's Valentine's Day. I don't know if it was like this in Florida when I was, a, I was born in South Carolina, but I grew up mostly in Michigan, and, and then went back to South Carolina and graduated from high school and college there. But when, when I was a boy, they would give, you'd give Valentine's cards to your friends when you're in elementary school. Kind of a common deal, these little cards. And this little boy came home and said, Mom, I want to give a Valentine's card to everybody in my class. And she appreciated his heart, but she was a little nervous. She thought, what if we do all that work and nobody gives him a card? But they got the cards and they very laboriously made a card for every student in the class. She dropped him off at the school, kind of nervous, apprehensive. She picked him up at the end of the day. He's walking out of the school building and his lips are moving. She opened the car window and she heard him say, not one, not one, not a single one. And her heart broke. This sweet little boy who loved... His classmates enough that he wanted every one of them to receive a gift from him, And no one had thought to include him. He said it again, not one. Not one, not a single one. But she noticed he didn't seem upset. He opened the door and got in the car. He said, not one, Mom, not one. I didn't forget a single one. Can I say... That little Down syndrome boy understood the golden rule better than I do. Lived it better than we do. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us. And you want us to have a life that pleases you and brings happiness to us. He gives us this great principle that would affect us in so many areas of our life. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to absorb it. They ask your spirit's help to live it. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. I didn't spend a lot of time making applications. There's so many. If I didn't know I was going to heaven, and somebody knew how to go to heaven, I'd hope they'd tell me. If I wasn't in a good church like this, where people are loved and helped from the Word of God, and there's a family spirit, I'd want somebody to invite me to church like this. So many applications. But I wonder who would say, Brother Willette, I'm God's child and heaven is my home. And as I heard the word of God today, I realized I need to put some of those truths in practice in my life. And I wish you'd pray with me about that. If you say that, hold your hand up high. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Lord, help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.